Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, December 16th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Amid a nonstop surge in coronavirus cases, intensive care units at the nation's hospitals quickly reaching a breaking point, while congressional leaders say a stimulus bill could soon be on the way. Meanwhile, the Pfizer vaccine rollout continuing as promised and a new vaccine following soon from Moderna. New details emerging about which groups will be next in line for the inoculations. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell seemingly turning on President Trump, urging his fellow senators to acknowledge Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today in Washington, where Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is finally acknowledging that Joe Biden won the election almost six weeks after Election Day. Edwin Piti has the latest from our nation's capital. Edwin? 42 days after the election, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell finally acknowledging what has been reality ever since the race was called for Joe Biden more than a month ago. Today, I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. I also want to congratulate the Vice President-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. Beyond our differences, all Americans can take pride that our nation has a female Vice President-elect for the very first time. And now Vice President-elect Kamala Harris telling ABC, better late than ever. I think it's critically important. You know, it would have been better if it were earlier, but it happened. And that's what's most important. And so let's move forward. Let's move forward and where we can find common purpose and common ground, let's do that. Let that be our priority. But President Trump still defiant, race tweeting in the middle of the night, lashing out at McConnell saying it's too soon to give up. Even though he's reached the end of the road, the Electoral College certified the election. His legal team and allies lost more than 50 challenges. Some of the president's staunchest allies now bowing to mount a last-ditch effort next month when Congress officially ratifies the election. But behind the scenes, McConnell saying this would divide the party, warning Republicans not to go there. Now, the division among Republicans on Capitol Hill is a reality that not even McConnell will be able to end. Even though he recognized Biden as the new president-elect, Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy still refuses to accept the results of the election. The focus right now remains on what will happen on January 6th when Congress is scheduled to hold a joint session for lawmakers to count and certify the Electoral College vote. The session will be presided by the Vice President, Mike Pence. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And meanwhile, a months-long deadlock on a second COVID relief bill may be about to end. Top congressional leaders on both sides who are negotiating the measures express confidence Tuesday that they are getting close to a deal. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer echoed that sentiment. Key sticking points have been aid for states and local governments sought by Democrats and a liability shield wanted by Republicans that would protect businesses from being sued if customers or employees contract COVID. Both sides may have backed off those demands to concentrate on what they agree on. That includes an extension of jobless benefits, small business loan, and money for vaccine distribution. No deal has been finalized yet, but the announcement could come before Congress recesses for the holidays at the end of the week. 
And President-elect Joe Biden has picked Pete Buttigieg to be his transportation secretary. That's according to sources familiar with the matter. If confirmed by the Senate, the former South Bend, Indiana mayor and 2020 Democratic presidential candidate would be the first LGBTQ cabinet secretary. Buttigieg is seen as a rising star in the Democratic Party, and the nod could earn him what many Democrats believe is needed experience should he run for president again. The role of transportation secretary is expected to play a central role in Biden's push for a bipartisan infrastructure package. In the last 24 hours, about 2,900 more Americans died from the coronavirus. California preparing for a mass casualty situation with hospitals in L.A. County in crisis. And as some governors implement tighter restrictions, Florida is taking the opposite approach. In the U.S., COVID-19 hospitalizations reaching alarming levels, surpassing 100,000 patients for the last 14 days and breaking a record Tuesday with more than 112,000 people hospitalized. The CDC forecasting that up to 28,000 new COVID-19 hospital admissions could be reported by January 11, 2021. In L.A. County, with a population of 10 million, there are fewer than 100 ICU beds left. I want you guys to all shift your mindsets to disaster mode. The state ordering 60 morgue trucks and activating its mass fatality program. We're going through perhaps the most intense and urgent moment since the beginning of this pandemic. In Ohio, the governor says COVID-19 hospitalizations have risen at alarming rates. Vaccinations are set to begin there on Friday. In New York City, where the number of patients has increased by 64%, the mayor now saying the full shutdown he's been warning about may happen after Christmas. I don't say it with anything but sorrow, but I do think it's needed. Meanwhile, in Florida, where the number of COVID cases remains at an average of 9,000 a day, the governor saying he will keep restaurants and other non-essential businesses operating at full capacity. Vast, vast majority of infections are occurring in people's homes, particularly if you have people getting together. So closing a restaurant for indoor dining is going to lead to more people doing that in private homes anyways. But Texas and Pennsylvania have also seen a sharp increase in hospitalizations. And according to government officials, not enough people who are testing positive for coronavirus are getting the monoclonal antibody treatment. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar says the U.S. has a surplus of the Regeneron and Eli Lilly treatments. Those treatments involve an infusion, which people might resist if they feel healthy. But Azar says patients are waiting until they're at the hospital to be treated, and by then it could be too late. He urges doctors to prescribe these products earlier for anyone over the age of 65 or at risk of serious complications. Meanwhile, the Pfizer vaccine is being shipped all across this country. Frontline workers receiving their first doses and next in line, nursing home residents. This as a new report from the FDA emerges on a second potential vaccine. Andrea Linares tells us what they found. An FDA advisory committee set to discuss Moderna's vaccine tomorrow. There's hope it will be approved as early as the end of the week. The government's ready to ship out millions of doses. We know that uh, we're going to ship just a little bit uh, short of 6 million doses out to the American people. Uh, and we're shipping it to 3,285 locations uh, across the country. 
So far, the FDA has not identified any safety concerns or reasons to doubt the vaccine, noting some people showed minor reactions similar to Pfizer's, like injection site pain, fatigue, headache and chills. They may have these uh, mild symptoms, fever, muscle aches, headache um, for the first three days. Some of what I've read is that the second dose can potentially come with more symptoms, so I'm ready for that. And just like Pfizer's vaccine, it still needs to be studied in children, pregnant and breastfeeding women and immunocompromised individuals. Neil Browning was one of the first to get two doses of the Moderna vaccine in a trial in March. I've been enrolled now for almost nine months. I've had no symptoms other than the sore arm after each morning. Meanwhile, the Pfizer vaccine rollout in full swing. The push to vaccinate this country expected to expand next week to 1,100 nursing homes. In the next wave, first responders, teachers and food workers, followed by people over 65 and those with pre-existing conditions. According to the New York Times, the U.S. government and Pfizer are also negotiating a deal for more vaccine doses. The deal in the works would entail the Trump administration using its power to free up supplies of raw materials to help Pfizer produce tens of millions of additional doses of its COVID-19 vaccine for Americans in the first half of next year. Nursing homes in four states are getting an early start vaccinating residents, beginning with West Virginia, Florida, Ohio, and Connecticut. Nursing home residents elsewhere can expect to receive their vaccination in the next two weeks. Some states like New York will begin on December 21st and others on December 28th. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And joining me now is Dr. Uche Blockstock. She's an emergency room physician in New York City and a Yahoo News medical contributor. Thanks for joining us, doctor. As we continue to report, black and brown communities have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, yet they're also the least likely to want to get vaccinated. Why the distrust among black people regarding the vaccine? Right. So we were in for an uphill battle, and this is due to historical reasons. We have a history in this country of medical experimentation and abuse of, of Black people, like the Tuskegee syphilis study. But we also have an experience where Black patients are experiencing ongoing discrimination when they present for care uh, in, in the healthcare settings. Uh, and then combined with the fact that we saw you know, political interference in the work of the FDA and CDC, by this administration this year, it has really sought to undermine public trust. What are your own family and friends saying about the vaccine and are what are you telling them? Yeah, so you would, you would think because I'm a physician, they would listen to me. And so I think what that points to is that it's not going to be just one conversation to get people on board. This is about a series of conversations. This is about being transparent about the vaccine development process, what vaccines do. This is about doing it in a culturally responsive way to provide people with the information they need to make an informed choice. My job is not to convince people to take the vaccine. My information is to provide them with the information that they need. And so I have family members and loved ones who are unsure about whether they should take the vaccine and I'm being patient with them. I'm listening to their concerns and providing them with information that they need.
It's definitely an ongoing conversation. And Dr. Blackstock, have you received the shot yet? And has your hospital been forced to prioritize the shot among healthcare workers? So, so I currently am working in an urgent care setting, which is more like an ambulatory setting. Right now, the priority healthcare workers are those that are working in the emergency department directly or the intensive care unit. Uh, so I will probably receive mine after that group of people, which is understandable because they are at higher risk uh, for um, being exposed to people with the virus. But I will say that when my time is, is here to receive the vaccine, I will be very grateful for that opportunity. I think that it is a glimmer of hope in this very difficult time that we will actually see uh, the end of this pandemic eventually. Doctor, we have yet to see a campaign encouraging people to get vaccinated, and you recently tweeted, healthcare providers are the most trusted source of information. Celebrity influencers will not be the key to successful public health messaging campaigns. The involvement of physicians, nurses, physicians assistants, pharmacists, social workers, and other HCPS will be crucial. What do you want to see in terms of a campaign to get people vaccinated? What do you envision? Right. And so I do envision there being information that is put out by state and local health departments in a way that is culturally responsive in different languages um, on social media, on buses, on trains, on television, wherever we can see uh, these messages. Um, but I think it's also going to be about working with healthcare professionals that interact with patients every day and, you know, training them to be able to answer the questions that people have about the vaccines, training them to engage in shared decision-making about whether their patient should take the vaccine. And I think that unfortunately, we're a few months behind uh, in messaging around the vaccine. And so we have to play catch up. And, and I think that that's where we need some federal funding, funding to trickle down to state and local public health departments so that we can get on board with getting that messaging out uh, to the public. And doctor, the next group to get vaccinated after healthcare workers and nursing home residents is essential workers. But defining who's essential has been more challenging. Will farm workers, for example, or meatpacking workers, many of whom are undocumented, get treated as essential? How can we ensure equity in vaccine distribution? Such a great question. And you know, we've seen how the virus has disproportionately impacted black and brown people in this pandemic. So I think that it's even more important that we get the vaccine distribution uh, as equitable as possible. And I think what's going to happen is that the essential worker pool is going to look different depending on the state and depending on the industry. But we really need our departments of public health to make sure that they arrange a vaccine prioritization scheme in the respective states that are fair Inequitable, and so if there are people in, that are working in meatpacking that are public-facing jobs, they're at high risk for exposure. They should be prioritized, and so I'm going to keep amplifying that message. And I know that our public health leaders are, are taking equity into consideration. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight, Dr. Uche Blackstock, emergency room physician and Yahoo News medical contributor. Thank you so much.
And in Washington, D.C., an incredibly somber moment on Tuesday. The National Cathedral there rang its bell 300 times for the 300,000 people who have died from COVID-19 here in the U.S. More than 16 million Americans have been infected with coronavirus. The cathedral's dean released a statement asking people to wear a mask, social distance, adjust holiday plans, and to show mutual respect for one another. On Tuesday, a win for the New York Attorney General in its investigation into the Trump organization. A judge ruled the organization has to turn over documents related to a property in Westchester County owned by President Trump. This investigation has been ongoing since 2019. That's when Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, testified before Congress that Trump's annual financial statements inflated the values of his assets so he could get favorable loans and insurance coverage. Not only that, he claimed the statements also deflated the value of other assets so he wouldn't have to pay as much in real estate taxes. Meanwhile, in Washington, Jeffrey Rosen has been tapped to take over as acting attorney general. Rosen, the current deputy attorney general, would lead the Justice Department for President Donald Trump's final month in office. The move comes one day after William Barr announced he was resigning from the position with his last day of work scheduled for December 23rd. President Trump and Barr's relationship reportedly changed over the last few days after Barr announced the DOJ found no evidence of widespread voter fraud in the election. And also making headlines, the Department of Energy has rolled back water flow restrictions on shower heads and other appliances. The new policy comes after President Donald Trump complained about low flow shower heads and toilets for months. Before, shower heads weren't allowed to use more than two and a half gallons of water per minute. The revised policy says each nozzle can now use that amount. That effectively eliminates the restriction since manufacturers can attach as many nozzles as they want to a single shower head. Also, the new rules say washing machines can use as much water and energy as they want so long as they, the normal cycle are less than 30 minutes or top lo for top loaders and 45 minutes for front loaders. Environmental groups derided the changes and are calling on President-elect Joe Biden to go back to old regulations when he takes office. And also on Tuesday, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a rural Colorado church that was challenging coronavirus capacity limits in instituted by the state's Democratic governor, Jared Polis. In a brief unsigned order, the top court reversed lower court rulings that had refused to block the restrictions, which limited attendance at some churches in high-risk areas to 25% of their typical capacity. High Plains Harvest Church sought to block the restrictions, arguing the state's rules unlawfully targeted religion. The decision came after Colorado already lifted the restrictions in response to a November Supreme Court ruling blocking similar rules in New York. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news, you news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. 
Cuba has rejected a report from the National Academies of Sciences of the United States linking high-powered microwaves to a series of health incidents suffered by its diplomats in Havana. The committee concluded last week that the pulsed and directed radio frequency energy is the most plausible mechanism to explain the mysterious incidents that occurred to diplomats in Cuba and to a lesser extent in China. Starting in 2017, dozens of U.S. diplomats and their relatives in Cuba reported different ailments that included hearing loss, ringing in the ears, vertigo and fatigue, which according to pointed to mild brain injuries. Meanwhile, in Venezuela, opposition leader Juan Guaido condemns the death of Venezuelans who tried to flee, flee by sea to Trinidad and Tobago. At least 20 people died when a boat sank off the coast over the weekend and the vessel's owner has been arrested. Last year, at least two ships that set off from Venezuela en route to the Caribbean nation disappeared at sea. Venezuela's economic meltdown has spurred a mass migration of some 5 million people seeking to escape the South Af American countries hyperinflationary collapse. And the International Criminal Court says there is reason to believe that the Nicolas Maduro regime committed crimes against humanity in Venezuela. And as Andrew Peña explains, this is one of the most serious accusations against the Venezuelan government to date. Relatives of hundreds of political prisoners of the Nicolas Maduro regime took to the streets asking once again for their freedom. Our children are unfairly suffering in jail. This is precisely the repressive environment that the International Criminal Court's prosecution is examining in Venezuela. Its preliminary conclusions consider that there are indications of crimes against humanity committed by the Venezuelan regime. This indicates that at the end, the perpetrators of the atrocities in Venezuela will be punished. And the allegations rest on the regime's security forces like the military's violent repression that left more than 160 dead and thousands wounded during the recent protests against Maduro. The actions of Sevin, the secret police of the president, the opposition councilman Fernando Alvan died while in custody at their headquarters. The investigation is not only limited to those who are responsible, but will also investigate the chains of command or the torture inflicted on Captain Rafael Costa by officials of the Military Intelligence Directorate, which led to his death, in addition to the actions of FAES, the special action forces of the police responsible for the death of thousands of people reported as criminals. It marks an interesting turn of what the evolution of this cause can do to those very serious violations of human rights. Three years of illegal detention, torture, rape, and politically motivated sexual violence are now recognized by the International Criminal Court. The next phase in this process would involve opening a trial against Maduro officials. Reported in Caracas, Venezuela by Francisco Orzieta. This is Andrew Peña, U News. On Tuesday, Mexico's president congratulated U.S. President-elect Joe Biden on his election victory, ending weeks of waiting. At his daily morning press conference, President Andres Manuel López Obrador said he sent the incoming American leader a letter praising his triumph after he was certified on Monday as win the winner of the state-by-state -state electoral college vote that officially determines the U.S. presidency. Mexico's delay led to a growing course of criticism from U.S. Democrats, including high ranking members of Congress who said the Mexican leader's caution could do long-lasting harm to relations. And Mexico's foreign minister, Marcelo Ebrard, said he expects migration to the United States to increase while Mexico would try to convince 
Joe Biden's incoming administration to tweak Washington's approach to immigration. President-elect Biden has vowed to pursue a more humane migration policy and promised a $4 billion plan to address underlying factors driving migration from Central America. Ebrard said Mexico's government will attempt to persuade Biden's incoming government to not only invest in Central America, but to favor investments to deal with the causes of migration. Meanwhile, a controversial reform proposed by the Mexican president himself has DA agents under the spotlight and some experts warning that bilateral security could be in danger. Paulina Gomez explains from Mexico City. In his book, Hunting El Chapo, this DA agent describes the capture of the Mexican drug lord after he infiltrated the Sinaloa cartel and tapped its communication system. Now, Congress just approved an initiative to limit operations of foreign agents in Mexico, among them DEA agents. Before, U.S. agents came and went doing whatever they want and they were allowed because nobody defended independence. There are 50 DA agents in Mexico and their activities are regulated by bilateral agreements. They can't substitute our police agents and they can't carry weapons. But experts in national security say some DA operations are conducted in secret. In order to protect their DA agent identity, they could be involved in criminal acts in Mexico. With this reform to the national security law, foreign agents will lose their diplomatic immunity and must give information to the Foreign Affairs Ministry. It is a way for the Mexican government to show it's not willing to put up with an irresponsible performance. Under this initiative, a government employee must report to federal authorities every time they speak to a foreign agent. Yet, former DEA agents assure that Mexico depends on U.S. intelligence agencies to give big blows to the criminal cartels, and the U.S. Attorney General said that with this reform, bilateral cooperation is at risk. Paulina Gomez-Bulchiner in Mexico City, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.